welcome to the only podcast on the planet produced exclusively for wholesalers and their leaders. This is Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Now, here's your host, Rob Shore. Wholesalers, welcome to another episode of Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Wholesalers, I was looking at my uh, Facebook feed and uh, Jim Kukral had sent out a congratulatory note about one of his friends that came out with a book. So, Jim, shout out to you. And I looked at the name of the book, and as soon as I saw the name of the book, Wholesalers, I knew that this is somebody I had to have on Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. And there was one paragraph that I read that was on her website that I just want to read to you if you'll, you'll bear with me for actually reading what this says. Uh, it was October 7, 2008, and after experiencing a dizzy decline in coaching clients, I decided to sit outside the New York Stock Exchange and do some free coaching wholesalers. How rotten was 2008, 2009? It just so happened that was the day the market fell over 500 points. One could feel something in the air, but from my bench, I didn't know what, she writes. As I began offering coaching to people from all walks of life, CEOs, traders, brokers, secretaries, even bike messengers, I soon found out, due to the crash and the response she was receiving, she was committed to continuing the free coaching down at the New York Stock Exchange for one year. So from 2008 to 2009, she coached almost weekly from that spot. And within a couple of weeks, the media started to interview her and began calling her the Wall Street Coach. And with that, her new company was born. She has a brand new book out called Transforming Wall Street. And I really like the message of Transforming Wall Street. Many messages. One of the messages is we don't necessarily have to feel shameful or the least bit uh, sheepish or the least bit inhibited in terms of the money we make due to this tremendous profession that we're blessed to be able to work with and work within. Kim Gurton, welcome to Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. It's a delight to have you here. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the book, how it came to be. Uh, you know, this whole notion, we, 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 we don't have opportunities, generally speaking, in our lives as wholesalers to have many discussions with many folks about money and what we make, because quite frankly, unless they're friends that are in the business, they A, don't have uh, the opportunity to be blessed with as much income, and number two, uh, if they're outside the business, you know, it's just it's a, it's a forbidden topic, which, which, you know, protocol would say is the right thing to do, but what about our feelings inside about what we make? How do you touch on that stuff? I, I think it's... Uh so important for uh, people to be proud, uh, at the very least on an internal basis, around uh, the great success they have. I think the question uh, that we've seen in the media, it's almost repositioned success uh, and demonized it. Uh, I think because there is uh, the disparities that exist within the certain structures of Wall Street and the the behavior we there's nobody I know even those who are wildly successful on Wall Street who are not frustrated with the disparity and the, the things that have happened that have been out of integrity uh, but because you're out of integrity uh, that's what's the matter at hand it's it's not the great wealth that's produced 
uh, in any capitalistic culture. It's how you produce that wealth. So I was responding by writing this book to say, there's nothing wrong with great success. And in fact, if we begin to position capitalism or great success or great wealth as bad or wrong, we're in dangerous territory. That the question is the integrity and the place we come from, the motive behind it. Uh, that's the place that needs to be looked at. We need to not disparage people or make people wrong because they've had great success. And that was why I said I had to write this book because I'm a true blue capitalist. And being an integrity and being a capitalist to me are completely congruent. So, yeah, we you know we we're, we're we're roundly vilified for being in the financial sector from those that aren't in the financial sector, and and oftentimes uh, we are called on the carpet for being capitalists because capitalists are associated with evil. Isn't that a true statement? Yes, yes I I agree with you, and I. I, part of what I discovered in the research of this book is that the father of capitalism, Adam Smith himself, uh, has been really misrepresented to the public at large. So, unfortunately, uh, his famous quote of, of, of the invisible hand has been really taken out of context, as, and he's been presented as a person who is an advocate of self-interest and only self-interest. And that's why I think capitalism gets a bad rap. But actually, that's not what he was an advocate of. And his book, The Wealth of Nations, actually was his response to a very similar situation we all went through in 08, which was the collapse of a bank in Scotland. And he wrote that title really speaking to the wealth of a nation is what all people experience. So he was actually the first advocate of saying, hey, crony capitalism is not fair, and we need to you know, really get, uh, get this thing more balanced so that everybody has opportunity. All capitalists, if there's one thing from the ones that I obviously spend time with, they're an advocate of everybody having opportunity. The more opportunity for everybody, the more everybody does better. Uh, so this misrepresentation of what Adam Smith stood for uh, I think contributes to that misnomer about capitalists are evil. Um, and the other thing I just want to quickly say is there's an, a, a very lesser-known work of, of Adam Smith that I highly recommend people read for themselves called The Theory of Moral Sentiment. And that book is when I began to discover a man who was an advocate of having uh, empathy for his uh, neighbor. He, he basically says mankind is empathetic by nature, that we have a moral obligation to take care of our community, uh, our brothers and sisters. I mean, environmentalism obviously wasn't around then, but he was talking about, like, we all are responsible to the land and to each other and the community. And when I read that, I thought, hold on a minute. This is not the Adam Smith I thought was, uh, I didn't think this was who he was. So having, you know, read that, that was my wake-up call that, wow, um, most of us don't really even get what that man was advocating for. And, you know, he's the one that, you know, pretty much began this kind of phrase. He he himself, you know, was that kind of a human being. So uh, so anyway, I, Let, I, I will stop there. But you get it. You get it. No, I appreciate that. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, how you arrived at some of your conclusions, because these are not just uh, the writings and findings 
from your time sitting in front of the New York Stock Exchange 2008-2009, you did a host of interviews and you interviewed some wildly successful and moneyed folks to get your data that supports this. So give us a just just give us a thumbnail sketch, you know, not too far down because we don't have time, but a thumbnail sketch of some of the folks of, that you spoke to and maybe some what some of your aha moments were in speaking to them because we're talking about, you know, millionaires and billionaires that you had access to. Give us some insights yeah. into that. You know, I think uh, what the biggest insight was, uh, for example, just speaking to Bill Ackman, right? Um, You know, he went through his own uh, moral dilemma and uh, stood up against Spitzer and some really, you know, kind of trumped up charges to to stand true to his name where it wasn't just his money was at stake, but they were really trying to bully him into uh, settling uh, so that, and, and they were threatening him, in fact, with letting him know that they were ready to put him in jail. So this is this is a man who felt he his honor was at stake, and he wanted to stand up for his name's sake, so that even the you know when the government comes after you, you know you, you it's pretty hard to succeed. But he was willing to do that because he wanted to be true to himself and who he was. And, uh, and I'm sorry, and who are we talking about here, Kim? Who, who, Bill, who, Bill Ackman. And for our for our listeners that don't necessarily know who he is, let's define that. He's the CEO of Pershing Square Capital. Okay. Um, you know, and, and definitely somebody who would be considered a billionaire. Um, you know, he is somebody who has been wildly successful as a capitalist, but has done so, in my opinion, you know, with his integrity and with him being true to his own uh, moral code. So, uh, you know, I have I have stories like. People, men and women featured at, you know, great success level, but I also have people that are featured that, you know, wouldn't be considered even a millionaire because I wanted people to see that there's a, a that it's not, it may, some people could say, oh, well, it's easy to stay in integrity when you have that much money, but I wanted people to see their examples, uh, other uh capitalists in here who have yet to achieve, you know, that kind of level of success and yet are still being true to their integrity. Uh, the biggest lesson is that, who we are on the inside determines, uh, you know, wealth and meaning, right? So wealth, in my opinion, is more than just monetary. It's about relationships that are healthy. It's about a sense of peace of mind, a sense of looking yourself in the mirror and being proud of who you are and how you operate when nobody's looking. Those are the qualities that I saw these Wall Street 50, or what I call the 50 I feature, uh, all have in common. They have spiritual intelligence, not just emotional intelligence, but they're able, spiritual intelligence uh, is a a term Cindy Wigglesworth has defined recently, the SQ21. And what what that meaning is for her, she's described it as being able to stay, you know, with equanimity in the face of... uh, well, great volatility, and and that's what the common quality I found among all of them. That the money doesn't make them who they are. It's it's kind of a uh, it's sort of a something that develops from living a certain lifestyle, and and you know coming from this place of money's not bad or evil. It's energy. It's an energy that you know you get. I'm of the opinion the more money you have, the more impact you can have for the better on this world. Um, so yeah. Let's let's segue a little bit off of what you just talked about, and and there's a title on your website of one of the topics that you speak about, 
and it has uh, some interest, I know, to me, and I'm certain to our listeners. Authenticity, the unexpected key to revenue. You know, it, it's it's almost incongruent that the, the phrase of authenticity leads to a key to revenue. How does how does authenticity help me? How does authenticity, you know, make me more money, get me more relationships, build deeper relationships? How does that work? Because so often, especially for some folks that are listening that early, early in their careers maybe went through classic sales training. I was just on the phone with a client yesterday, and we were talking about classic sales training they went through when they were youngsters. And so much of that is quite inauthentic. Uh, He was coached by a uh, mentor that said, you know, when somebody asks you, how was your day, there's three or four standard pat answers. And then he said to me, how about if I just tell the truth? Not necessarily that, you know, I just, you know, my cat yeah, just got yeah. run over and, and I'm having a terrible day because right. we, don't, we don't have to bring that into our client's life. But exactly. how does authenticity play into this? Authenticity is about trust, ultimately. And at the end of our day, our clients, uh, whether we work in an organization or are working on our own, it's all about trust. Who do you trust? I trust the people that are real with me. You know, it doesn't mean exactly like you said. You have to be like, yeah, my wife served divorce papers on me this morning. You know, that's just a little more information that's needed in that moment. But to to be authentic, to be like, you know, today's a tough day for me. If you are able to be that genuine with the the person across from you, uh, that will give them a sense that, you know, wow, he's somebody that's real. He's somebody that if he can be honest with me in this moment, and not just give me a standard, yeah, I'm fine, then that may be somebody I can trust and I can connect with because we're all human. No matter how wildly successful or brilliant we are, we're going to have rough days. We're going to have periods in our life that are not so great. And stuff's going to happen with our clients, right? It's not going to always go perfect. But it's like how do you handle things when they're not perfect? Are you going to be real with me? Are you going to be honest? Are you going to call me and pick up the phone? Are you going to hide and not talk about it? If you tell me you're the kind of guy that can be there, even when the blank hits the fan, then I'm going to much more be willing to trust you. There's a great quote by John Maxwell that says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what I think authenticity does. It lets a person across the table from you know, you know what, they're trustworthy. I can trust this person. Let's talk a little bit about a kissing cousin of authenticity and that would be vulnerability. And you write that vulnerability, just in this title, vulnerability is the new authority. Some folks view vulnerability as weakness, that it it is the opposite of authority. It it denigrates your position. How are you equating vulnerability with authoritativeness? Well, it ties right into that previous concept of authenticity, we think that what impresses people is our uh, economic, uh, perhaps, position, our educational uh, title uh, that, you know, that we have a certain kind of car or, you know, a corner office. Those are rarely the things that really impress people. Authenticity and genuineness and, in, and a sense of uh, being able to trust somebody, that's what impresses people. When you listen to people or great speakers, the orators that, that really capture people's attention aren't those who are 
you know, like looking, appearing to be perfect. It's the person who is, you know, bruised and bloodied who, you know, that great quote from Teddy Roosevelt, it's the man in the arena, you know, that man in the arena who's willing to take the chance. That's why we love the hero story so much. The hero story is not a perfect man or woman. It's a story of a person willing to get their hands dirty, a willingness to be real. And, you know, when I look at Jim Collins, uh, you know, he has a great uh, – concept called level five leadership when you look at the most they looked at the most successful companies of all time and what were the common qualities among those ceos and the two common qualities were fierce resolve and humility and it was those concepts which are very paradoxical that were the qualities the most successful companies of all time over the longest period of time studied were consistently uh, run by CEOs that had those two qualities. And that, that these were CEOs who, whenever things went wrong, they took responsibility for it. And whenever things went right, they had a tendency to say, you know what, that's because of my great team. And so you think it's the flashy, you know, guys that with the, you know, big ego that would be the ones who would be successful CEOs. And this study has shown that that's actually not true. So that to me is, you know, the willingness to be vulnerable is a willingness to be authentic. Um, it doesn't mean you have to leave your heart or your, you know, experiences wide open to people, right? People have to sometimes earn your trust. But it is about realizing that, you know, if you did admit, let's say, on that one call, like, how are you today? You know, it's, it's kind of a tough day. What that person will think is, wow, you mean he's human? I can relate to that human. That's when people come to you. That's when they come to you, when they say, wow, that guy, because everybody's human. Everybody's having pain. You know, there's a great quote that says, be kind to everyone because everyone is fighting a hard battle. No matter who the person across the table from you is, the king of a country, uh, you know, the head of a billion-dollar company, they have pain. They have life happen to them. There's illness. There's heartbreak. There's children that don't talk to them. You know, these are, this is happening for everybody around them, them every day. And so when you show a little bit of your soft underbelly, it gives permission to that other person to be human too and that they're not so, you know, alone in the battle of just getting through life. Wholesalers, you'll have a chance to check out more when we link up Transforming Wall Street on our website. Uh, Know that the Wall Street coach, Kim Curtin, has been on CNN and Fortune and Smart Money and TheStreet.com, and she works with CEOs as well as CFOs and VPs and investment bankers. She lives in our world, and I'm sure you'll find all of the information that she delivers insightful to your practice, so be sure to check that out. Kim Curtin, thank you for joining us at Wholesaler Masterminds Radio. Thank you, Rob, so much. Wholesalers, come back again for our next episode of Wholesaler Masterminds Radio.